um, a moment just for a second and in just a moment to, to introduce our guest uh, preacher for today. I know many of you know him, probably didn't need a lot of introduction, so I'm not going to give him a lot of introduction. Um, but let me, let me kind of get the story out of the way before, this, um, before the morning's out because a lot of people have been asking me and um, asking questions. So I'll tell the story one time, that way everybody hears it. Uh, everyone keeps saying, you know, are you limping? Yes, I'm limping. Um, Tony and I, as I shared with you last week, we were away for five days on a, a kind of an anniversary cruise and a, and a time away, celebrated our 20th anniversary, and in the process, I broke my foot. So um, I, that was the souvenir I came back with. We were in Jamaica on Wednesday, and we were at a place called Blue Hole. If you ever go to Jamaica, I highly recommend it. It was fantastic. Unfortunately, in part of the day, we were kind of climbing in some waterfalls and some rocks, and there's a pool of water I was in that was three feet deep, except in one section where it was four and a half feet deep, and I didn't anticipate the drop, and so when I stepped, I fractured the third metatarsal. So uh, it's okay, and it'll heal. It's one of those kind of fractures. I'm going to get it checked out, but it just takes a little rest, which is perfect for me because I'm on my feet for five hours on Sundays. But Tony insisted, she insisted when I came this morning that I bring my crutches. So there they are. So... Um, I do what I'm told, and I brought my crutches. So um, anyway, so everybody's been asking, and it, like I said, it, was, it didn't ruin the week by any stretch. In fact, it just meant Tony had to wait on me hand and foot. So the sacrifices. So anyway, um, now on to more important things. Many of you um, know Dad. Uh, you've heard him preach. He's preached here a number of times, very often uh, filling in for me when I'm gone. Uh, today's a blessing. He was opened as he and Judy were with the kids last week as Tony and I were away. Uh, he was willing to bring the message this morning, which was a blessing for me because it allowed me to have a week where I didn't have to think about the sermon for Sunday. It's also a blessing because I could be here. It wasn't one when he was filling in when I was gone. I, I get to be here and enjoy kind of sitting where you sit on a Sunday morning. And so um, if, you've, if you're relatively new and you've, you've not met Dad, let me just tell you, retired a few years ago after 36 years of ministry, so he is uh, well-seasoned for this, and uh, I introduced him in the first service, as I'll introduce him now, as the original Reverend Schmidt. So, the floor is yours. <laughs> Thank you, Chris, I think. Uh, Y'all doing good? You all right? Good, good. We'll see if you say that after this is over. Um, this is, this is our church home, you know, Judy and I, uh, we live up in Dade City, which is about an hour away, hour and 15 minutes away, but we really enjoy being able to come down and, and worship with you. Uh, we sang in the choir at the early service, Kimla was nice enough to invite us, and we did, we had fun with that, and then, and then during the second service, Judy and Polly Boston were over in the historic chapel playing Joel Rainey numbers on the pianos uh, and, and all. And then, of course, Judy was up there with the rest of the group playing. So this, this, is, our, this is our, we try to get down here, gosh, a couple of times a month lately. It's getting more and more as time goes on that we're, that we're able to be here. So, and, and usually at this service, uh, because it's, and like I said, an hour to come down from Dade City. So this is a convenient service for us. 
Now, you heard Chris tell you about the broken foot. You heard his story. Now I'm going to tell you the truth. He and Tony were walking around the ship, and they went up to the sports deck. You know, they got the basketball hoop, and they got who knows what other kind of sports stuff going on up there. And for whatever reason, there was a football laying around. What the ship was doing with a football, I have no idea. Now, Chris's eyes lit up because he was a good football player in high school. I mean, he played a little bit beyond high school, too, but, but uh, he was a good football He played defensive end in, in, in high school, and, and he, did, he was a good player. But he never kicked the ball. But he always has thought of himself as a possible kicker. So he went over and he picked up the ball and he started flipping it around and he flipped it to Tony. And he said, Tony, hold the football while I run up and kick it. Now, Tony is an astute student of Charles Schultz (laughs) and Peanuts. And Tony channeled Lucy. And Chris, not acting too much less than Charlie Brown, got back, took a run, took a kick, and Tony Pull the football away, and Chris kicked the post. (laughs) That's how he broke his foot. Now, you can believe the story he gave you, or you can believe the truth, whichever you want, because you know I would never tell stories about him and Tony unless there was some slight truth to it. Very slight. Very, Very slight. Was that poetic license, or did I help you? you. You're welcome. As you go through life, make this your goal. Keep your eye on the donut and not on the hole. A lot of people keep their eye on the hole, which disappears. And sometimes when we do that, we lose sight of the things that really matter in life. And we also lose sight of things that are true. Now, there are things as we grow that we gather along and we believe to be true. Uh, if, if, if you were in a group of people and, and somebody said that the sun was 50 million miles away, you would, you would chances are, stand up and say, no, that's, that's, that's wrong. The sun is 93 million miles away. And, and they'd say, oh, no, it's 50. You want to bet? And you'd say, yeah, I'll take that bet. And, and if you did, you'd win, right? Because we know that the sun is about 93 million miles away. And there are other things that we gather as we go through life that we are sure are factual. I I hope you've brushed up on your Shakespeare this morning prior to church. In Act 5, Scene 1 of Hamlet, Hamlet goes into the soliloquy and he holds the skull in his hand. And he says, Alas, 
poor Yorick, I knew him well. Everybody knows well. Somebody say to you, you want to bet? You say, sure, I'll take that bet. And you put $10 down, and he puts $10 down, and you go look it up, and you kiss your $10 goodbye, because that's not what Shakespeare wrote. What Shakespeare wrote was, alas, poor Yorick, I knew him Horatio. Yeah. Now, there are other things that we gather up as we go that we're sure of. In, in 1697, 1697, some of you remember that year, <laughs> a man by the name of William Congreve wrote The Morning Bride. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, as in grief, not as in the time of day. The Morning Bride. And he wrote these very familiar words. Music hath charms to soothe the savage. Beast? How many say beast? Be brave. Beast. How many say breast? Breast. Actually, music hath charm to soothe a savage breast. But I, like many of you, would have bet beast because that's what I grew up hearing. So there are things that we gather in life that, that we know to be facts that surprise us when we find out it's not so. But there are some things in life that we know can't, can't happen. We know we can't live underwater without oxygen. Can't do it. Next time you jump in a pool, try it. Just, just see if you can do it. Can't do it. I mean, unless you've got a scuba tank on, of course. But uh, we know we can't walk to the moon, at least not yet. And we are 99 and 44, 100% sure that a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman are not going to have a baby not going to happen. But suspend your, uh, your, your, your mind for a moment and pretend that it did. Pretend that, that, that you're the, the nurse behind the counter in the office of the obstetrician. You open the window. You see standing before you a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman, and you say... May I help you? And they say, yes, we're here to see the doctor. And you say, for what reason? And the man says, my wife is pregnant. When you pick yourself up off the floor from laughter, you, you realize that they are dead serious. Can it possibly be true that a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman are going to have a baby? Or, or consider going to Babies R Us. Now, Judy and I spent the month of February in Denver, Colorado. What possessed us to vacation in Denver, Colorado 
in February, the month that they set the record out there for the most snow. And we drove there and back. Now, the reason that we went was a good one. It's called being a grandparent because Judy Jr. was having their second child. His name is Aiden. In fact, at the end of June, the last Sunday in June at this service, Chris's younger brothers, Brian and, and Tina and Ava, and David and Judy and Colin, five-year-old Colin, Ava's five, five-year-old Colin, and then newborn Aiden, um, and Aiden is going to be baptized. And we'll all be together as, as a family and as a church family. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. But imagine, and so while we were out there, we went to Babies R Us and, and, and bought some things for, for, for the baby. Well, imagine this same couple that just went to the obstetrician now going to the Babies R Us store and the, uh, to register for gifts. And, and, the, and the person doing the registration says, and, and who are the parents? And, and the wife says, well, we are. And see the, the girl at the registration desk fall on the floor in laughter because of that just doesn't happen. It just does not happen. And so we know that, that life just sometimes does funny things to us, but not that. Imagine this couple stocking up on, on diapers and, and baby formula and bottles. The neighbors would think they were, were senile. And yet, Scripture tells us that a couple named Abraham and Sarah were anticipating their first child as they approached the century mark. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 4 about this story that originates back in Genesis chapter 17. This is what Paul writes. In hope he believed, he being Abraham. In hope Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, because he, because he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Reminds me of a couple. He was 75, she was 72. They wanted to have a baby to carry on the family name, to, to inherit the business. They went to the doctor. They wanted the doctor to help her get pregnant. doctor looked at them, listened to their reasons. Yes, we want an heir. We want, a, we want an heir to carry on the name, to carry on the business. doctor looked at him and said, well, you may be air-minded, but you are not air-conditioned. <laughs> yeah, some of you are going to tell that story over lunch. I, you, I, you may groan, but, but you'll, you'll, you'll tell it. How could, how could Abraham at 100 and Sarah at 90 have a baby? Human experience and science and anatomy and reason 
said it wasn't going to happen. But Abraham believed it because God promised it, and Sarah believed it too. Well, not quite at first. Once she got through laughing, she believed it. Once, once the laughter stopped and the obviousness of the pregnancy came upon her, then, then she believed it. And so the story continued. When the child was born, do you remember what his parents named him? Isaac. And do you know what Isaac means? Laughter. Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. They named their kid Laughter. Because that's exactly what Sarah did when God told her that she was going to have a baby. And so Paul, in writing to the believers in Rome, talks about faith and talks about what it takes to please God. And he contrasts two sides. The first side that he talks about are the people who believe that if you're good enough, then you can be uh, an inheritor of the kingdom of God. And so you and I are apt to hear something like this. Well, you know, he is a good man. She is a good woman. They do things for people. They, they take their neighbors shopping. They take uh, someone to the doctor. They do all kinds of things for other people. Oh, maybe they'll never go. Maybe they won't go to church or don't go to church. Maybe they don't pray and, and don't read their Bible. But they're good people. If anyone will get into heaven, they will. But if you believe like that, then you have to answer this question. How good is good enough? How good do you have to be to tip the scale in the favor of being as good as God? Jesus taught that no one is good except God alone. And Paul wrote, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you're one of those that believes good works will get you merit, will get you into heaven, then how good do you have to be to do it? Now, the other side of that equation is the side that you and I are more familiar with as believers in Christ, because that side of the equation simply says Christ died for our sins. What do we have to do to merit it? Nothing. It's already been done. Accept it. Believe it. Live it. But there's nothing you can do. There are no works. There, there is absolutely nothing that, can, that, that we can do to tip that scale so that people will say we are as good as we can be. So Paul will continue to write to the Romans, and he will say that righteousness will be reckoned to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses, and who was raised for our justification. That may be hard to believe that someone 2,000 years ago is the Savior of the world. But think about Abraham. Think about what Abraham believed. Here he is, married to a woman who's been barren all her life. No hope of having children, no chance of, of her getting pregnant. 
Abraham counted his own body as good as dead. And yet God said that your descendants will be as the stars in the sky and as the grains of sand on the beach. And Abraham believed it. And as we said, Sarah also came to believe it too. And what we know now that Abraham didn't know was that God's forgiveness is given to us in Jesus Christ as a free gift. It is not something that we do. It is a free gift of God's grace, even when we run in the wrong direction. New Year's Day, 1929. University of California is playing Georgia Tech in the Rose Bowl. A fumble occurs. Player on the University of California team picks up the ball and runs in the wrong direction. Runs toward the wrong end zone. Tackled just before he crosses it by a fellow University of California player named Benny Lom, L-O-M. Anybody have any idea what the name of the player who was running in the wrong direction, what his name was? Wrong way, Corrigan. Want to bet? Oh, gee. Roy Regals. Wrong way, Corrigan was a flyer. Did she know? You knew. Wrong way, Corrigan was a flyer. I've got to look up that story and find out what, why he got the name Wrong Way so that the next time uh, somebody says Wrong Way Corrigan in this story, I'll know what I'm talking about, why he's not the one. But his name was Roy Regals. University of California now has the ball. They're backed up against their own end zone. They punt. The kick gets blocked, covered in the end zone, two-point safety. University of California went on and lost the game by one point. Halftime. This play occurred before the first half was over. Halftime occurs. The team files into the locker room. And they're all sitting together on the benches with the exception of Roy Regals, who is sitting over in the corner, his head in his hands, a towel around his shoulders, crying like a baby. Everybody in the stands and those in the locker room were, was wondering what Coach Nibs Price was going to do about his player. If you have played any kind of a team sport in your life, you know that usually the coach has a lot to say during the halftime. But the story is that Coach Price didn't have much to say at all. And as the time grew closer for the teams to go back out for the, the rest of the game, he turned to the team and he said, team that started the first half will start the second. All the players got up as one started out through the doors heading for the field while Roy Regals continued to sit in the corner and cry. Coach looked over at him and said, Roy, it's time to go. He started for the door. Regals continued to sit. Didn't you hear me, Roy, that it's time to go back out? He didn't move. Coach Price went over 
put his hand on his player's shoulder and said, Roy, it's time to go back out on the field. And Roy said, Coach, I can't do it. I've ruined you. I've ruined my school. I've ruined myself. I couldn't face those fans in the stand if my life depended on it. And Coach Price, with a gentle touch on his player's shoulder, said, Roy, get up and go back out there. The game is only half over. Now, if we were writing this and turning it into a Pollyanna-ish story, we would write it in such a way that Roy redeemed himself in the second half and the University of California went on to win. Didn't happen, as you, as you already know, as I've already told you. They lost the game by one point. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is the game was only half over. It had only ha been played halfway. You needed to go back out and continue, regardless of what the outcome might have been. Some years later, in the 50s, a high school football player actually did pick up a fumble, get turned around, and run the wrong way, and this time he scored the safety. And his high school team went on and lost the game by two points. Roy Regal, so the story goes, wrote this young boy and told him, you'll get over it. I, I got tired of listening to people laugh and talk about my wrong way run. But it's not the worst thing in life that's ever going to happen. And so you will get over it just as I did. Unless you think something like this only happens to somebody in high school or somebody in college, in 1964, in a game between the San Francisco 49ers and the Minnesota Vikings, one of the greatest defensive ends to ever play the game, Jim Marshall, picked up the football, somehow got turned around, and ran in the wrong direction on national television. And I can still remember, I don't know that I saw the game because I was in the Navy at the time, but I saw the reruns, and I can still see him crossing the goal line and with a whoop and a holler throwing the ball up in the air only to find out later on that he had scored a safety for the other team and not a touchdown. And the story is that Roy Regals wrote to Jim Marshall and said, Welcome to the club. Is there anybody here in this room this morning who hasn't picked up that proverbial ball and run in the wrong direction? Any of us? Maybe not, not once, but more than once? Is there any of us here who can't say that we have never needed to have somebody put their hand on our shoulder and say, go on back out there, the game is only half over? Is there anybody here who doesn't know that God forgets thanks to what Jesus Christ has done for us? That's the good news. That's what we need to take with us when we leave this place this morning in just a few minutes. That no matter how bad we think we have been, our God is a God of a second chance and a third chance and a 54th chance and a 100th chance. 
who is constantly saying to us, get up and go back out there. The game is only half over. I am with you. I close with these words. Words written by someone named Nancy Spiegelberg. And she writes, Lord, I crawled across the barrenness with my empty cup, not daring to hope for a drop of refreshment. If only I had known you better. If only I had known you better, I would have come with a bucket. Let's pray. Lord, maybe the title to the song should have been Fill My Bucket, Lord, instead of Fill My Cup. But, but Father, we know that you bless us and, and fill us and, and give us new life, not because we are good enough or because we deserve it or because we've earned it, but because of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. And so for each of us here this morning, as we leave this place, remind us that the game is only half over and we go forth from this place in your name and let the people of God say, Amen.